Episode 15, The Passing of G. Laverne Flambeau. Welcome to Radio War Stories. In every episode, hosts Dave Jagger and Don Nelson reach into their arsenal of decades of radio experience to entertain you with their most amusing, enthralling, and interesting stories. Suit up and get ready for today's episode. It's another week. It's another RadioWarStories.com. Don, hopefully we're going to get our nice little mixer back and everything will be hunky-dory and we'll be sounding a whole lot better. Well, it's it's kind of fun recording these here in the the, uh, barn. (laughs) It sounds a little bit like it with the mics we're using. Uh, When we last left off, though, you were, and we've talked about this before, Don is a general manager, and you actually didn't even write the checks, did you? Did you even sign the checks? Oh, of course we did. You did sign the checks? Okay, good. I didn't know if you actually did that. I had to do something. (laughs) (laughs) But as a check signer and getting out of everybody else's way like you were talking about before, uh, Don is one of those general managers I wish I had worked for. I only had one that was really like that, and Bob Woodman was that way. He was pretty good. As a matter of fact, the only direction his former, the guy that had been GM before him told him, that was it, sign all the checks. Don't let anybody else but you sign the checks. Just sign those checks, man. That's it. That's what it was. Uh, but you said you did the, kind of the same thing, hired nice people so you could enjoy life a little more. Well, when when we had the radio station running like a well-oiled machine, it allowed me to do some vacation time. One of the vacations uh, that, that always is a highlight or a low light, as it may be, uh, was a trip that uh, started uh, over in Spain, uh, into Madrid, uh, a day of watching the bullfights on Sunday. We took the train. Was down. it as gory and nasty as I say, or was it? No, not no? really. Not yeah, really? No. I mean, you get, you get caught up in it, you know. Yeah. And, hey, everybody yeah. around you. Yeah. Is, Olé! Right. Yeah. <laughs> I thought they were selling some kind of cosmetic there, you know, but <laughs> not so. But the next day, we took uh, the bullet train down to the Mediterranean and then uh, over to El Hiseras, uh, uh, which is where you catch the ferry to go to Morocco. Right? The ferry goes from Spain uh, across the uh, little point of the Mediterranean there, almost at Gibraltar. Wow. And you end up in Tangier. I've heard Morocco is kind of a nasty place. It can be nasty or it can be absolutely beautiful. Depending upon where you are. Yeah, exactly. And uh, uh, you'll enjoy the picture of me trying to knock on the uh, door of the king's palace in Tangier. (laughs) Anybody home? I'll share that one with you. Okay. That's that's what every tourist does, like kissing the Blarney Stone, except (laughs) it's a little cleaner. (laughs) I would imagine. From there, we go down to Fez, uh, which is just an amazing city, kind of out by itself there. And an absolute must for anybody who wants. And this to. is where you you said you had the new the big bazaar, the big open oh, yeah, air yeah. marketplace. The, 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 the souk in Fez was amazing. It was like the world's biggest uh, shopping mall uh, encased in tents. Wow! Uh, there was nothing that you wanted to buy, legal or illegal, that you couldn't buy somewhere in that souk. Wow! But we had dinner after that. I got back to the room, and the red light is blinking on the phone which is unusual when you're right. out in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, Pick up the phone, I, I get the message that the guy who hired me is an 18-year-old kid off the street and it was my mentor for the next 20-some-odd years, G. Laverne Flambeau, had passed away in the Quad Cities. Boy, that must have really been 
a downer. I uh, mean, that I can't imagine something like well, that. Well, it never occurred to me that uh, we would not be there uh, for his funeral. Yeah, I mean, yeah. It, that is just a given. And then I start on the phone, and the first thing I find out is there are no flights from Fez over to Casablanca, where the international uh, flights go out to New York. Mm-hmm. Uh, long story short, we, well, this is probably not short, but anyhow, we ended up hiring a, a vintage Mercedes taxi cab. Uh, finally left the hotel about midnight. And this is a local driver then, right? He, oh, yeah. He, right. he agreed to take it right. over. We, we work out the deal and yeah. all of that. Uh, here we are going through the Moroccan desert in the middle of the night, uh, and it's been on the road a couple of hours, haven't even seen another car. Man. It's one of those things. And I, I leaned over to my traveling companion and I said, You know, nobody knows we're here. I mean, this guy could literally uh, do us in, throw us by, and, and at this, just at this juncture, our driver turns around, says something in Arabic, and pulls over to the side of the road. And it's oh, like, boy. Oh, oh, boy. And he relieved himself and got back in the car. <laughs> <laughs> Thank goodness. We yeah. Yeah. And Apple can't come out with, I translate fast enough for our phones. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. because there were no phones in those days. Yeah, that's right. But uh, we get to the, uh, to the airport uh, uh, in Casablanca. Well, it is still closed. But at those times, the airport's frequently closed sure. overnight. Did you visit Rick's? Uh, no, Rick's uh, wasn't there. Oh, uh, darn. Uh, I was going to say, play it, play it again, Dave. Yeah, play it again, Dave. It. Yeah. yeah. But uh, I paid, uh, uh, he did such a great job uh, driving all night. I gave him almost double what we had agreed, you know, in the form right. of a tip. And all of a sudden, he starts screaming at me because I paid him in dollars and he didn't comprehend that I had given him a really great tip. So this... Uh, all of a sudden, soldier, uh, you know, with the Uzi, the, the obligatory Uzi, comes <laughs> over and asks what's going on. Uh, and when I explain it to him, he explains it to the driver, who immediately wants to give me a hug. <laughs> oh, now everything's fine. <laughs> Thank you. It Thank get, you, it, Mr. Ugly American. It gets worse. <laughs> uh, I, we get in uh, to, to get a boarding pass, and it turns out my ticket, for some reason, is no good. Uh, so how does I, that happen? If you buy tickets, how does that happen? Yeah, who knows? But it, it reached the stage where I was bordering on the ugly American yeah. routine. I always try to start off nice. Sure. And I try to stay nice. But yeah. there's sometimes when, when nice doesn't get it. <laughs> and at about this point, two soldiers come up, take me by the arm, walk me uh, around the uh, checkpoint and out to the airplane to the steps and said, Go. <laughs> so I go up the steps. We get on the seven oh seven. Boom! We fly to JFK. Were there pl- was there plenty of room? <laughs> it was half empty, of course. You know, it was just one of those bizarre wow, uh, third strange. world uh, things yeah. that, that happened. Well, it was nice of the local enforcement to let you get on the plane. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. but uh, of course, uh, again, no cell phones. Uh, so right. we have to wait till we get to New York to arrange uh, the flight from. Uh, New York over to Indianapolis uh, because a had to change clothes. You can't. Uh, sure. Uh, all I took on the trip were jeans. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And uh, the next day we were picking up several members of the WIRE WXTZ staff, and we were all going to take a really early flight. Uh, we had to go up to O'Hare, change planes, and then go down to Moline, Quad mm-hmm. City Airport. Yeah. So we get to the Indianapolis airport bright and early on the morning of the funeral. And they say, O'Hare is shut down because of fog. And I said, what are the options? And they said, there are none. And I said, yeah, I got to be in 
Moline, Illinois, no later than you know, 10 a.m. The guy said, the only way you can do that is with the private jet. And I said, you got one? Uh, he said, uh, yeah. <laughs> so we, we make our way over to the General Aviation Terminal, and uh, a, a gruff old ex-military guy is the pilot. And uh, we pile into this private jet. Wow. And away we go. And as, we, and as the military, all these military pilots, you know, they go straight up. Because oh, they, yeah. They don't want to get shot. No. Yeah. So, boom, we go straight up through the clouds, and as we break out into this beautiful sunny day, I turned around to the guys from the station, and I said, you know, the old man is up there looking down on us with a cigar in his mouth, laughing and saying, keep throwing away the company's money, Don. You're doing a great job. You'll bankrupt us yet. Well, if you wanted to get there, and that was the only way to get there, that's and that's the Learjet story, right? Yeah, absolutely. That's and the Learjet and, story. And, uh, the interesting thing about it, um, you know, we, we made it literally with like 15 minutes to spare. Oh, man. And that's from Fez to Casablanca to JFK to Indianapolis. Holy <laughs> boy, what a trip. Uh, did, did our time there, mm-hmm. all went back, the pilots waiting for us, so, you know, because we're blowing the company money, so <laughs> it's going to well happen. Take it all away, yeah. And uh, as I never forget as we take off, uh, he asked for clearance uh, direct Indianapolis. And the air traffic control guy came back and said uh, something about through Rockford, and, and at this point, uh, our ex-military <laughs> pilot says to him, hold everything. I said, direct Indianapolis. This ain't no Piper Cub, and we're not looking to sightsee. Oh, man. <laughs> and the guy came back and said, direct Indianapolis, and wow. the way we went. But, you know, during during that time, uh, do you know what the, like, the number one national advertiser was back in the late 70s? I have no idea. I would, I, I would guess a, a car company. Photomat. Really? Photomat? Photomat was wow. huge. You know, there were little photomat yeah, little kiosks everywhere. Sure. And photomat purchased their entire schedule once a year. They didn't buy in flights. They went in and they bought a year's worth of advertising. And photomat was based in San Diego. Okay. So it was, it was important uh, that, you know, we, we show the flag uh, down there at photomat. Mm-hmm. But since it was an annual buy, most people only went once. Well, I'm frankly... Falling in love with San Diego. And so I start taking really good care of the photomat bike. <laughs> yeah, I, I try to make it over there at least uh, every two, three months. Sure, just, just to service them. Just, just to service, sales, to service yeah. the account. Now, at, at the same time uh, I'm making those little photomat trips, uh, a couple of guys ride into Indianapolis that would have a great bearing on, on uh, the continued excitement of running the number one country music station in the whole wide world at that point. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, these two guys were Larry Grogan, the late Larry Grogan, who just left us this summer. That sounds very familiar. I didn't know the man, but I recognized the name. And Dan Halliburton. Dan uh, Halliburton lives here in Dallas. Still. Right. He ran uh, Caplex here in Dallas yeah. uh, years later. But these two guys came into WFMS, uh, which Susquehanna had purchased Mm -hmm. and they went country and they're on the FM band and we are here with a real dilemma 
because we have a country station on the AM band that has done fabulous things now going on 15 years. And we have a tremendous bit of money coming in the door on the FM band. With yeah, with the beautiful music WXTC. Thing, yeah. So you never, ever considered flipping. Since they were going to be a country on FM, you never thought about flipping over the country signal to the FM signal. Oh, no. We, we, we thought about that from day one. Or purchasing another FM to put them, you know. Well, well in those days, you couldn't, okay? In oh, there days, weren't any signals have, available. No, you could only have one AM oh, that's and right. one FM. Yeah, that's that right. That's it. before so, everything got screwed up, yeah. So I went to corporate, and I said, guys... We have to ditch our beautiful music station and move our AM over to the FM or we're going to get killed. Yeah, you're going to get clobbered. And the folks at corporate looked at me like I'd lost my mind because I'm suggesting throwing away a a roughly $1 million annual profit Mm -hmm. on an FM uh, and moving the AM over there. That story we're going to save for another day. That was Mid-America, right? The, yeah, the, that, that, uh, was, that was Mid-America. All right. And all of a sudden, after years of, of having it our way, we got a couple of guys down the street with an FM that are scaring the pants off of us. You know, it's, it's very weird when FM came in like that and everybody on the AM side was starting to get very, very uh, paranoid about FM coming in and taking our audience away and... Uh, when they started to spring up everywhere, there was no issue at all when I was in Victoria uh, here in Texas on KVIC. And Mr. May said, we're buying an FM. We did kind of a MOR format on that for a while. My wife, Jerry, did mornings against me for a while. Uh, her numbers started to get a little better than mine, even though we were only a two-book market that could at be the fun. time. Yeah, <laughs> so I uh, didn't really pay that much attention because I think all along, uh, Bob uh, or somebody, uh, either Bob and uh, Wendell both decided, yeah, let's flip. Let's put this over on, uh, put KBIC over on the FM because it was the money maker. It was the one that was making all the coin. And uh, FUM 95, or FM 95 is what it was called before we just went to KDIC and flipped them over. Then they made the AM a country station. Uh, and it was all automated, live assist automated. Uh, and it worked out really well. I mean, uh, they sold a great combo package. But I can un- understand Mid America's thought about that. I don't know how many stations they owned at the time. But to me, it seems like that, Don, you had you were on the right track, obviously. You well, knew to survive country in Indianapolis, you had to flip that. In particular, when we got a couple of guys down the street who were running a really good operation. Mm-hmm. And this is a dilemma that was being faced everywhere in America. Yes. Every market was going yeah. through the same thing because uh, you had all of the, the uh, blowtorch power uh, 50,000 watt AM signals, WMAQ in yeah, Chicago, WGN in Chicago, WBBM in Chicago. WLS in Chicago. <laughs> right, all of those. And they're all AM. Yeah. And here comes FM. We'll talk about that. Thanks for listening to Radio War Stories. Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Like us on Facebook at Radio War Stories and call in with your questions or comments here or on Skype. Skype at RadioWarStories.com. We look forward to hearing from you. See you next week.